Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today it's part one of the Gospel of John, chapter 11. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Tonight we'll be discussing the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Now, there are seven I am statements in John's Gospel. We will get through five of the seven as of tonight. The first one to refresh our memories, I am the bread of life, followed by I am the light of the world. Followed by, I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd. Tonight, Jesus tells us, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. Seven. Seven signs. John's going to give us seven signs. After tonight, you will have all seven of the seven signs in the book of signs. He changed water into wine at Cana, first miracle. He healed the royal official's son. Third miracle, he healed a paralytic. Fourth the feeding of 5,000 people. Number five, sign that he did, he walked on water. Number six, he healed a man born blind. Number seven, tonight, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This is a biggie. This is the seventh sign. The seventh sign. And this is going to seal the deal. This sign is going to make the Jewish authorities want to kill him. This is big. Some of them went to the Pharisees and told what he had done. And the chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the council. And they said, what are we to do? This man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and they'll destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said, you know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. Caiaphas is speaking in the role in the office of high priest of Israel. The irony is so thick in John's gospel. He didn't say this on his own, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was about to die for the nation and not for the nation only, but to gather into one the dispersed children of God, all Abraham's children, all the sands of the seashore, all the stars in the sky. So from that day on, they planned to put Jesus to death. So that seventh sign will seal the fate of both Jesus and Lazarus, actually. Raising someone else up from the dead is really, really, really a big miracle. But raising yourself up from the dead is extraordinary. That's a divine miracle. So number eight sign, this goes beyond perfection. This is a new covenant. This is number eight, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from death. Now, raise your hand if you've ever seen a resurrection. Has anyone been an eyewitness to a resurrection? See, you don't see it every day, right? It's, uh, uh, there are some resurrections in the Bible. Let's start in the Old Testament. Elisha is the first one. He raised the widow of Zarephath's son. And he did that by stretching himself out upon the child three times. And he cried to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And it did. Elisha, Elisha is symbolic of John the Baptist. Elisha, who had a double portion of the spirit, is symbolic of Jesus Christ. Elisha, in the Old Testament, resurrected the Shumanite woman's son. And he did that by stretching himself upon the child. And the child sneezed seven times. 
perfection of sneezing, and the child opened his eyes. And then Alicia does another one where Alicia's in his grave and his bones are in his grave and a dead man comes back to life when he touches Alicia's bones. They cast the man into the sepulcher of Alicia and when the man, the dead man's body, touched the bones of Alicia, it revived him back to life. So that was an amazing Old Testament resurrection. Resurrections in the New Testament. The first one is only found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke tells us that Jesus resurrected the widow of Nain's son and Nain was a town very close to Nazareth. And when he saw this woman weeping and walking with her dead son, I just feel he had a foreshadowing of his own death and his own mother. And he went over and he said, I say unto thee, arise. And he delivered the son back to his mother. It's an incredible resurrection of the dead and, and only in Luke. Matthew has Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. And they come to get Jesus, and they're already, they say, oh, he didn't have to come, it's too late, she's dead. And they've already started the commotion, and the professional mourners are there. And Jesus says, go away, the girl's not dead, she's just sleeping. And they laughed at him. And Jesus goes ahead and takes her by the hand and says, get up. And the report spread through the whole district. Luke also has that same miracle. But in Luke's version, he only lets Peter, James, and John come into the room. And he says, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone this happened. Same with Mark. He only allows Peter, James, and John into the room and gives strict orders that no one should be told about this. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead tonight in John chapter 11. It's huge. It is a public miracle. Many people are going to be eyewitnesses. So when I asked you, have you ever seen a resurrection? These people did. Many people saw this. It's a public, public miracle. Many of the Jews came to believe when they had seen what Jesus did. They believed in him. This is the seventh sign. It's also going to prepare his own apostles to enter into Christ's resurrection. It's when he is killed, they're going to remember this. They're going to remember. But remember, remember what he said, that he would rise. Remember what he did with Lazarus just, you know, not too long ago. It's also going to confirm our own resurrection from the dead. And that that was prophesied by Ezekiel the prophet, 37, the whole prophecy of the dry bones. That's a prophecy of the universal resurrection of the dead, and Jesus is going to show tonight that he has power to do that. The eighth sign is his own resurrection. It's in every single gospel, and it's the eighth day, a new covenant, a new resurrection. We also see in the New Testament that many saints were resurrected from their graves. This one blows me away. The graves were opened. Many bodies of the saints that slept arose. They came out of their graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many. Can you imagine? They're, they're flying around Jerusalem after Jesus had been resurrected. That's a Tissot painting. I love that one because it, it, you, you see the priests are seeing them at the temple and these bodies are, are coming up out of the ground. I believe that was the harrowing of Hades when they broke free and are, are joined with their bodies and, and rising. Peter, in recapitulating the works of Jesus Christ in the Acts of the Apostle, we see Peter raising Tabitha from the dead and we see Paul raising Eutychus from the dead in Acts chapter 20. Remember those accounts. So resurrections as big as it gets by the might and the power of God is this done. So when my dad died, I stood in front of his casket and I thought, huh, I wonder if I could... <laughs> do this 
And I, I, I honestly thought, you know, I thought of that scripture, you never receive because you never ask. And so I said, hey, God, if it's your will that my dad be resurrected from the dead, could you just make him rise right now? And I did. I prayed that in front of his casket. And it didn't, he, it, it wasn't his will. And, it, and he didn't sit up. I was just waiting for him to sit up. But I thought, you know, God can do this. I could ask him maybe, you know. Jesus at the pool in John 5. This is a pagan pool. Remember what he says there. He said, very truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me, which is the Father, has eternal life and does not come under judgment and is passed from death to life. Very truly I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I think he's referring to the harrowing of Hades when those who heard Jesus preached to the imprisoned spirits in the holding place, and when they heard and believed, they were set free. Very truly, I tell you, the hour is coming, it's here now, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear, to the Hebrews, hear and obey is the same thing, hear and believe, will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him, the Son, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now they had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the Son of Man since Daniel. He's the Son of God and he's the Son of Man. He's coming on the clouds. Don't be astonished at this. The hour is coming when all, 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 all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. That is what our hope is. That's what we are looking forward to. Every single person in this world, in this room, is going to break through the cement, going to break through your casket, going to break through the soil, going to break through and be risen. Can you imagine? Can you imagine on that day, this is at Christ's second coming, this is the parousa that we're all waiting for. That's why we have hope. That's why we're sitting here tonight. That's why we're Christians, because we believe in the resurrection, right? Oh, pretty good. One day, we're all going to be resurrected, every single person, every person, bad people too, people who don't believe, atheists, agnostics, people who say, I don't want anything to do with it. They're going to be raised. He tells it another way in the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25. He's going to have the sheep and the goats. You go this way, you go that way. Now, every Sunday at Mass, we say, I look forward. I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Don't we? (laughs) And and I look around and I just see people. (laughs) They don't even know what they're saying. And they're saying, I look forward to busting through the soil and busting through these marble floors. I'm going to, you know, if if we'd only understand what we have to look forward to. And we think, well, sure, Jesus rose. Well, he's God. Of course, you know, he can do it. What about us? Really? Is that what's going to happen? Well, Lazarus is us. Yes, that's what's going to happen. Lazarus is us. He's fully human. He is not God. He's creature. He's fully dead in this story. Dead, 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 dead. Four times dead. Mary couldn't change the fact that Lazarus was dead. Martha couldn't change the fact, the physical fact that Lazarus was dead. And I could not change the physical fact that my dad was dead. Because I'm not the author of life. I don't decide when my dad's last breath is. God does. Some people think they are the author of life. I will decide when I die. That's the oldest trick of Satan. You could be God. 
You could be your own God. Did God really say that? Oh, no, you can be your own God. They call it mercy killing, compassion. It's a lie of Satan. It's saying, I am the author of life. I will choose when I die. That's my business. That's my choice. You only have to be 18 years old. 18 years old, a doctor has to tell you that you have a terminal disease with six months to live. Well, doctors don't know that. I'm sorry, my husband's a doctor. He has people with brain cancer. He he doesn't know when they're going to die. They might have three years. They might have six. They might have nine. They might have 12. And you can say, I want to die on March 13th at 3 p.m. That's a lie of Satan. We have to tell our kids about death. My son who lives in Colorado said the last four Sundays, the bishop had all the priests give four sermons in a row on this issue. It's too late when it's on the ballot. We got to teach our kids. God's the author of life. He had come too late in this story. They knew he's the author of life. That's why these girls are crying. Jesus, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Because they know he's the author of life. On the fifth Sunday in Lent of year A, these are the readings that the church has so brilliantly put together for us because the church always has a reason. She pairs Ezekiel 37 with John 11. What was Ezekiel 37? Dry bones. The valley of the dry bones. The hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel. He brought him out and the spirit of the Lord was upon him. He set him in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them and behold, there were many upon the valley and they were very dry. And then he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you will live and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. I prophesied and there was a noise and a rattling. Behold, the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come forth from the four winds, O breathe, O breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and they stood up on their feet in exceedingly great host. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves. I will raise you from your graves. Oh, my people, I will bring you home. And you will know, I will put my spirit in you, and you will know that I am God. That's the universal resurrection of the dead. Jesus shows tonight that he can do that. He can raise Lazarus from death itself, and he can do it for us too. The psalm that Sunday, fifth Sunday of Lent, right before Easter, waiting for divine redemption, Psalm 130. The second reading is Romans 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Praise God. And then the gospel is the resurrection of Lazarus. And then it's Easter Sunday, and it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he shows us this first for us. Because he's God. Sure, he's going to rise from the dead. He has a dual nature. He's fully human and fully God. But Lazarus is us. 
Lazarus is only human. He's fully human, and he's fully dead. So Jesus proves he's the author of life. If only you would have been there sooner. In Acts of the Apostles, Peter's arrested and standing in front of the Sanhedrin, and he tells them, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to that fact. So Jesus is the author of life. And today, a certain man was ill. His name was Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Bethany is a beautiful suburb of Jerusalem, a quaint little village. Some call it House of Dates. But in Hebrew, Bahet Anaya means house of the poor. There are two different Bethanies in the New Testament. We already saw one in John 1, verse 28. It took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. That's not where we are tonight. If you look at the King James, it calls it Bethabara, where John was baptizing. It's a different Bethany. It's across the Jordan River. This Bethany is right outside, right near Jerusalem, just a 20-minute walk. There's the other Bethany, the ford by the Jordan River. Both Bethanies were thought to be villages where Essenes dwelt. Some scholars think Lazarus may have been an Essene. Some scholars think Jesus may have been an Essene. These cities where Essenes dwelt were diaconal centers for nationwide Essene network, diaconal houses for the poor. The Essenes were a sect of Second Temple Judaism that flourished in the 2nd century BC to the 1st century. They usually remained celibate, very holy, very uh, austere life, sometimes out in the desert like Qumran where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. That was an Essene community. They were known for their commitment to serve the poor and the sick, and they established diaconal networks for poor houses. Lazarus may have been a patron to an Essene house of poor or sick, like a hospital, or maybe he was an Essene. Josephus writes about the Essenes. They shared all their possessions. They lived in community. They welcomed anyone, especially Essenes from anywhere. You could always go to an Essene network in any town and have a home. So Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. Lazarus is Hebrew for Lazar or Eliezer, which means God of help. The name Lazarus means God of help, and help him he will tonight. It's a two-mile or 20-minute walk from Jerusalem to Bethany, but today, if you go there, there's a wall built between these two cities, between Israel and the Palestinian West Bank, and so it cuts off direct access. So in Jesus' day, it was two miles, a 20-minute walk. Today, it's a 45-minute bus ride, because you got to go all the way around and go through the checkpoint at Jerusalem Jericho Road. Now, Jesus went here a lot. He loved this family, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, in this quaint, beautiful, peaceful town of Bethany. He loved hanging out with them. When he'd go to Jerusalem, he could just walk to their house and stay with them. They could talk. Martha was always busy preparing the meals. Uh, Mary was there at his feet. But after this tonight... There will be a great big target on the back of Lazarus. Because in the next chapter, we'll see that because he was raised from the dead and a constant reminder of this huge miracle, they want to put him to death as well. So he has a great big bullseye on him, which forces he and his sisters to move. They have to get out of Jerusalem. It got so bad. And they go to the Cypriot church. Lazarus is seeking refuge. And they go settle in Cyprus. It's called Kidion, but it's present-day Larnaca. And Paul and Barnabas travel there, and they will ordain Lazarus as the first bishop 
of Kitty on Cyprus or Larnica Cyprus. And Lazarus was very close to the Virgin Mary as well because if he's a good friend of her son's, you know how that is. Mary loved him too and, and the daughters. And she was very grieved when they had to move. And so she would write letters to comfort the family. This is from Orthodox tradition. She asked that he might send a ship to her and she might visit him in Cyprus. Well, they were overjoyed to do that. So Lazarus sends a ship to the Holy Land to get Mary and John for a trip to Cyprus recorded in 52 AD. It is said that Mary sewed his bishop outfit with her own hand, wove it herself. On this journey, they came up against a great storm in this ship, and they're taken off course, and they end up on the shores of a city called Ephesus. And they are unaware that divine providence had brought them there. Virgin Mary loved, she was so taken with the beauty of Ephesus, and she prayed to her son that this could be her garden devoted to prayer to fight the good fight of faith. We know that later, Mary and John did settle there in Ephesus, in that beautiful garden. There's her home, and people are streaming through it to this day. There's John's memorial in Ephesus. So while they're stranded there, they start a new Christian community there because what was big in Ephesus was that temple of Artemis. And then later, Mary got reunited with Lazarus once again. In that city in Cyprus, in Larnaca, the bishop's chairs have Lazarus on them. And we have to remember, Lazarus has a first tomb in Bethany. He's buried in that tomb, but then he rises from that tomb, and his second tomb will be in Larnaca on the island of Cyprus. And his relics have been found there and identified. And on his tombstone, which is there, it says, Lazarus, the friend of Christ. The church that's built, the bones were right under the altar. There's his tomb. And on November 23rd, 1972, that's not very long ago, they did find his human remains in a marble sarcophagus under the altar during renovation work to the church. They were identified as the relics of St. Lazarus, and they are there today enshrined for visitors. They also shared some of those relics with other Russian Orthodox. They came and brought them back to Moscow, Russia on June 11th to 12th. And carrying that reliquarium, the primate of the Russian Orthodox Church said these words, It is with special gratitude that I receive this precious gift. There could be no greater gift than this. We will take these relics of Lazarus to the patronal city of Moscow. We'll house them in a place where a multitude of people can approach them. Everyone who venerates these sacred relics of Lazarus will know your gift. And through this veneration, love for Cyprus and the Church of Cyprus will be strengthened in the hearts of our people. The relics were met by a procession at the Conception Convent in Moscow. The people were were elated to have the relics of Lazarus in their town, in their keeping. They love Lazarus there. They celebrate his feast day with great joy, and they just love him. Pope Francis met with this Russian Orthodox patriarch February 12th of 216. They're trying to make inroads for peace between our divide. The Russian Orthodox celebrates Lazarus Saturday, the day before Palm Sunday. It's a triumphant celebration. But this resurrection of Lazarus affirms our universal resurrection before Christ's own resurrection. And that's how John theologically orders it. Now, Lazarus comes out of the grave all bound up in cloths. And many of the church fathers saw this as an indication that Lazarus is going to need these cloths again. He died once, 
Jesus rose him from the dead, but he's not eternally alive yet. He's still on earth. So he has to rise. He's going to have to, he'll rise with us on the last day, right? But he's in a second tomb now and he's got his garments. He's got his cloths saved where Jesus didn't need his grave clothes anymore. They could be left behind in the tomb. He will never need them again because he is the resurrection and he is life. He's never going to need them again. John is careful to tell us the details of the linen wrappings in the grave of Jesus. They're lying there, and there's a special cloth that had been on his head that was not lying with the linen wrappings. That would be the Shroud of Turin, but it's rolled up in a place all by itself. So what went on in that tomb during those dark hours? Jesus is very tidy to roll up his little linen wrapping and put it over. to. He sounds a lot like my boys. <laughs> Here's what it would have looked like. They are wrapped their body and their head separate with two separate cloths. So we're in Bethany at the house of the poor, and Mary was the one who anointed the Lord and perfumed and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. John's not chronological because we're not reading about that story until the next chapter next week, the anointing. So it just shows us that we can't think of John in a step-by-step way. That'll be next week. But the sisters send a message to the Lord. Lord, he whom you love is ill. They were very worried about their brother. He had fallen sick, very, very sick. They send for Jesus. They know Jesus could heal him. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, that's very similar to what we heard him say about the man born blind. Was it him or his parents' sin that he's born this way? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. This man is born blind so he can show the glory of God. The glory of God's going to be manifest through him. Same thing here. Lazarus is going to show the glory of God. And accordingly, though, Jesus loved Martha. He loved her sister Mary. He loved Lazarus. And having heard that Lazarus was ill, he rushed right back to them to be with them. No, he stays two days longer. What? What kind of friend is that? He intentionally stays two days longer away in the place that he was. Wow. He waits for the corruption of the body to set in. No one's going to be able to doubt this seventh sign. Rabbinical beliefs stated that the soul hovered over the body for three days. But after three days, it is gone. Three, the divine number, and it's gone. The fourth day, you're dead. No chance. By fourth day, there's no chance that there's going to be anything happening. So after this, he says to the disciples, hey, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were just trying to stone you there. We, we can't go there. Why would you go there again? If you remember in John 10, it ended with them picking up big stones to throw at Jesus. They wanted to kill him. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. Oh, how good it is to walk in the light of Christ, to be fully exposed, to live that type of life that anything can be seen, to walk in the light. He knows he's not going to be here forever on earth. Walk in the light. Walk with me now. Those who walk at night stumble. The light is not in them. Don't grope around in the dark. This is a constant theme for John, this light and dark, light and dark. That was part one of the Gospel of John, chapter 11, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.